0: Hi, everyone. Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians is much closer to the end of your Bible than the beginning. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 7, and as you're getting there, let me just share this little uh, attention-getter by the Apostle Paul from this text. He says, I wish you were all single like me. Now, married guys in the room, this would not be a good time to shout amen. <laughs> he said, it's good to be single, and he would go on to say, it's good to not get married. Now, some of you immediately are thinking, well, I thought Genesis said that it's not good for a person to be alone. Doesn't that mean that the goal of every Christian life is to get to a certain stage of life, settle down, get married, and have kids? Isn't that the Christian ideal? Well that mindset has led generations of Christians to view singleness more as an affliction than anything else. But here we have Paul in the Bible saying, I wish you were single like me. And so today we're going to talk about singleness. I think we need some clarity around this because a lot of church folks are still saying dumb things to single folks. Like, you know, why are you single? (laughs) Or, you know, don't worry, I'm sure you're next. Or you just need to put yourself out there more. Or any prospects on the horizon. I I heard this one recently for you single Christian women. Just dance with God and he'll let the perfect man cut in. Oh man, so nauseating. So anyway, in churches, there can be such a focus on the traditional family with marriage as the norm that we neglect to address both the unique gifts and the unique needs of our single members. And here's the weird part. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was single. Some of his best friends were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact, these three siblings were like Jesus, home away from home. And four single adults, imagine it, hanging out when Jesus would visit. The apostle Paul was single. Ruth and Jeremiah and Joseph and Nehemiah were single. Even John the Baptist, always the groomsman, never the groom. These and many more saints through history were all single. And so what does this tell us? Well, for one, To be single in Christ is not falling short of God's best, it is a path of Christ-exalting obedience that many people are called to walk. It also tells us that singleness is not a problem to be solved, it is a gift to be celebrated. And I'm concerned that that the church, and yes, even our church too, tries to marry off singles instead of painting a compelling picture of biblical singleness and encouraging singles to live into their God-ordained potential, whether that means marrying sometime in the future or not. So let me give you Paul's statement in context from 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and 8. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and and to the widows, I say, that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So we're here in a teaching series called Building Thriving Families, and we, we thought it was very important to do some teaching on biblical singleness. Singles fit nicely into this broad definition that we've been exploring of family this month that identifies family as a multi-generational team on mission, and today, we're gonna learn what the Bible has to say about singleness, and I'll summarize it with this big idea. Singleness is a gift from God, use it well. Now, the number of single adults in the US has been rising steadily since the 1950s, when about one out of every four adults back then were unmarried, and many of those were single men who were migrating west to work in places like Alaska. Today, However, that number has risen to nearly half of the adult population being single, about 128 million Americans. In fact, this is the, the, the fastest growing household type since the 1980s is the single person. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 63% of singles were never married, 23% of singles are divorced, and 14% of singles are widowed. Now, there are varying reasons for this rise in singleness that we're seeing. Some uh, people feel like they can't afford to, to get married, and so they've just put that whole concept on hold. And some people are waiting to marry because they don't wanna be tied up too early in life. Many are prioritizing their career over starting a family. More people are just living together without getting married, and, and then plenty of others, they don't feel the need for for a spouse to be fulfilled in life at all. They just prefer living solo. There's a huge population of single adults at Grace who fit all of these categories and who represent all of those reasons. Now, the world's view of singleness, it tells you that it's all about you. It's about your happiness, it's about your success, it's a time to find yourself and set aside any external identities or traditions that have been imposed on you and get in touch with yourself, explore yourself, reconnect with yourself, and really find out what makes you happy. Now often that involves seeking all the pleasure you can in the moment. The, the swipe right culture tells you to experience sexual adventures and to do whatever makes you feel good. You're young and free after all. But, but God's view of singleness is that it's a season for worship. It's an occasion for joy. It's a time to find deep and lasting purpose and connection. It's an opportunity to explore soul-expanding friendships and a window to discover great clarity in your life and sufficiency in God. And so I wanna talk to you today about God's gift of singleness. And I apologize to single adults today right at the outset because I know sometimes it feels like the church treats you as second-class citizens. And sometimes you're met with a lot of misunderstandings and even sometimes offensive comments and questions. But I believe you have so much to offer the church, not just in terms of your time and talents, but I think you can uniquely paint a picture for us, a living model for us, about what true devotion to Christ looks like. And so, let's look at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, 1 Corinthians is an interesting letter. As Paul often did in his letters, he teaches doctrine and and offers compelling truths for the church to obey. And and in the first part of 1 Corinthians, he's addressing uh, the issue mainly of Christian unity. There were various factions within the church who preferred uh, different teachers or who preferred different doctrines. And so in the first six chapters of this letter, Paul is laying the biblical foundations for unity in the church. But then chapter 7 marks a turning point. He begins to address a series of questions that have been forwarded to him from the church. And in each time he addresses a new question, he begins with the words, now concerning And then he goes on to provide his theological guidance. And so he begins chapter 7 with the words, Now, for the matters you wrote about. Now, by the way, there are more back and forth letters between Paul and the church in Corinth that we don't have access to. He references a previous letter. He also references a severe letter, both of which we don't have access to. And so we, we could have a third Corinthians and a fourth Corinthians and a fifth Corinthians and so on, if we had access to all the correspondence between these two, but we don't. So, so in chapter seven, Paul is turning to his attention to a series of questions, and specifically here, questions about marriage and being a widow and being engaged and yes, being single. And here's the deal. We, we have to be careful about these sections of Scripture because we only see one side of the conversation. We only see Paul's answers, but we don't have access to the exact questions. And so there are definitely universal truths to be mined from sections like this. But remember, he's answering specific questions in a very specific set of circumstances. So we're going to walk carefully today. But I want to organize my uh, thoughts from chapter 7 around this concept. The spiritual pitfalls and benefits of being single. And then in the end, I want to offer some counsel to the church. And so let's start with the pitfalls first, and then we'll end on a positive note with the benefits. So let's see three spiritual pitfalls of singleness. I want you to look now at uh, verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 7. It says, "Now." To the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the the first pitfall of singleness is this. Sexual temptation. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He acknowledges there is a temptation for single people as it relates to sexual sin. He calls it here burning with passion. Now listen. I want to remind you, God created sex. It was his idea. It wasn't the devil's idea. It was God's good gift to mankind. But there are some parameters for how it works best for human beings, how it is a blessing and not a curse. It's an incredible gift within the context of a marriage relationship. But without that marriage relationship, sex itself and even the temptation for sex can become a problem for people. And and they turn to things like hookups or porn or affairs. And, And these are expressions that fall short of God's good plan for sex. And so Paul says, if you're burning with passion and can't control yourself, you should get married. Now, this is where we need to be careful, okay? Remember, he's giving this advice as a response to a specific question, maybe even from a specific person, like he's going, okay, now for Johnny's question. Like, I know the situation between Johnny and Sally, and you guys have been together for a long time. I'm surprised you're not married by now. Anyway, if it's getting too hot and heavy, it's time to tie the knot. And so we have to be careful about universalizing this advice. But there is a universal principle attached here to this text, and I think it's this, that single adults will need a strategy to deal with sexual temptation, or it will become one of your pitfalls. Now, I don't think this passage is an open door to just rush out into the first relationship that comes your way if you're struggling with lust. You're like, I'm burning with desire. What's your name? Let's get married. Don't do that. Right? That's not what Paul's saying here. There's a second pitfall, and it's called loneliness. Some of you love the solo life, but there are others of you who find it so frustrating to come home at the end of the day and not have someone that you're sharing life with. And closely connected to this thing called loneliness is another thing called comparison. And it's never been easier to compare your life to other people's lives than it is today. And so some of you, you come home and you're already frustrated that there's no one there and then you start scrolling and another old friend got engaged and that other friend already celebrated five years and your clock is ticking in your head and you start seeing everything in pairs. You know, this couple and that couple, you look down at your pair of shoes sitting next to you like even my left shoe has some. I'm kidding. But but loneliness is fed sometimes by comparison. Now remember, there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Just because you're alone doesn't mean you have to be lonely. But loneliness can creep in and and it can really affect your physical and mental and emotional and yes, spiritual well-being. Because here's the danger of loneliness. It's like when you go to the grocery store on an empty stomach. Ever done that? You got grocery shopping when you're hungry, like you do that, you're in trouble because you buy everything you don't need. Like it doesn't matter if it's good for you or not, you just want to fill your stomach with something. When you're lonely, you do the same thing. You'll pull stuff off the shelf, not because you need it, but because you're hungry for anything. And you can slip into this lie that says, well, there's no good thing to fill the emptiness. There's no positive thing to fill that loneliness. And so I might as well just fill it with something. Anything, we tell ourselves, is better than nothing. This is the danger. And so you'll turn to anything. You'll turn to substances and hookups and time-wasting entertainment. Anything to deal with the loneliness. Here's the third pitfall. It's selfishness. I mentioned earlier the world's view of singleness is that it's all about you. Have all the fun right now before you lose all your freedom. This is your time. Enjoy it. Get to know you. Find satisfaction for you. And so some singles do that by pouring themselves into their career and just become workaholics and addicted to all the trappings of success and side gigs and disposable income. And some pour themselves into hobbies, and the the world revolves around their free time. And and some pour themselves into cheap thrills or comfort or satisfaction. It can become a very self-focused existence. Now, there's an important section in the middle of chapter 7 where Paul offers some more enduring and universal truth to us. In verse 17, he says it this way. He says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. And then further down in 23, he says, you were bought with a price. And so Paul's working through a section here where he looks at various lots in life, socioeconomic, religious, marital status, and he basically says, I don't care whether you're rich or poor. I don't care whether you're a slave or or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, married or single. This I know to be true. It's not all about you. Your life is not your own. He says you were bought with a price. The Bible's clear that no stage or status in life is a free-for-all, but each situation is an opportunity. Did you see what he said there? To live as a believer and as one who has been purchased by Christ himself with his own blood. You are not your own. You are a child of God. You are a servant of God. You are a friend of God. You're an ambassador of the Most High God, and so he is your focus. He is your grand pursuit. He is your everything, and it's not all about you. It's all about him, and so beware of the pitfall of selfishness selfishness, and loneliness, and sexual temptation. Now, all of these pitfalls are connected to unmet desires. You see, all temptation to sin is about an unmet desire that you try to meet outside of God's provision, which begs the question, well, why would God give you a desire that He doesn't meet immediately? Some of you singles may be asking this question. And I think there are two big reasons why God sometimes gives us desires that he doesn't meet immediately. The first is this, so that we can learn self-control. 1 Corinthians 4, 3, and 5 says that it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in the passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And so if you struggle with lust as a single, it's not going to magically go away in marriage. Why? Because sexual temptation is not a singleness issue. It's a holiness issue. It's a sanctification issue. And it will follow you into each stage of your life if you don't deal with it. Notice, God's will for your life is not that you get married. He said it. He said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? That you be more like Jesus that you learn your lust because your lust is simply shining a spotlight on a need in your life that's not being met by God. And do you know what Paul's solution is? He says, don't give in to the lustful passions as the Gentiles do. Now notice this marker, who do not know God. There's the key right there. They don't know God. And so there's no other outlet for temptation for them. The flip side of his argument is, but you do know God. And this temptation then is an opportunity to allow God to be more and more present in your life. Now, on that note, the second reason God sometimes gives you a desire that he doesn't meet immediately is this, to learn the sufficiency of God's grace. I think of Paul's thorn in the flesh. How did he reconcile this thing in his life that proved to be so difficult? Well, in the end, you know what he said? He said, his grace is sufficient for me. Paul had a desire that he wanted God to take away because he thought life would be easier if God just took it away. And some singles, not all, but some feel like they're supposed to be married. They're supposed to have that partner. And and you can start thinking, well, God, it would be so much better here if you would just make that happen now. But sometimes God doesn't meet that desire. And instead he says, I want you to learn yourself and to be a picture to others that I'm enough. God says to singles and to everyone else in the midst of your need, in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of your temptation, if you learn to trust me, I can prove to you that there exists a relationship even more satisfying than what you're longing for. My question to you today is this. Is His grace sufficient for you? Single adults, is His grace sufficient for you? And the reason this is so important is because even if you do decide to get married someday, God's sufficiency is still the centerpiece. Your marriage partner is never going to be able to meet all your needs. And married people would stand here and testify to you that when you expect your spouse to provide what only Jesus can provide, it is a recipe for disaster. And so it's important to learn how to rely on God's sufficiency alone. And so singles in the room, how are you doing with these pitfalls? There are some of you who may need to say, listen, there's a relationship that I'm involved in that needs to change. Or maybe I need to get out of it altogether because it's bringing too much temptation into my life. Or there's a behavior pattern in me that I need to break off. Or I need some support right now because of loneliness. Or I need some accountability right now because of selfishness. And so I'm gonna seek it out. For some of you, the pitfalls are getting the best of you, and you need to say, I'm I'm gonna live as a believer in this situation that the Lord has assigned to me. I'm gonna come back to it at the end, but I I think Paul's solution, certainly one that I believe to the core of my being, is that the answer to help with, to to avoid these pitfalls is the church. Deep, rich, loving, friends, spiritual brothers and sisters who can be there for the purpose of love and support and accountability and truth-telling and friendship. It's just so important for the church to be the church. But before all of that, let me talk about two spiritual benefits of singleness. The first benefit sounds a little weird, but but it's this. It's the freedom from the, the obligation of family. Listen to what Paul says in verses 32 to 34. He said, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Now, listen, I know we're in a series on family, and Paul just pointed out the benefits of not having a spouse. So, so what is he driving at here? Well, he's saying, as soon as you have a wife and some kids, or, or a husband, ha- you know, ha- has, or you have a husband and some kids, suddenly your interests are divided. You folks in that station of life know how true that statement is. A family carries with it certain responsibilities and obligations that take time and effort, which otherwise would have been, you know, just given to the Lord. And so one of the great benefits of singleness is discretionary time. The ability to make quick decisions without having to consider how it's going to impact a spouse. The freedom to come and go as you please at whatever hour. hundred percent ownership of the TV remote. Amen. So, so times of solitude and not having to talk to anyone if you don't want to. One of the great theologians of our time is a man named John Stott. I'm sure some of you are familiar with his writings. And in 2005, Time Magazine called him one of the 100 most influential people on the planet today. He died in 2011. And what many people don't know about John Stott is that he never married. Though according to his biography, he came close to it on two occasions. And if you asked him how he was able to accomplish so much for the the kingdom of God, he would say that if he had the responsibility of a family, he could never have written or traveled or ministered as extensively as he did. He was free from the obligation of family. Now, look back at what Paul says in verse 26. He says, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. I like how the NIV says it. He says, those who are married will face many troubles in this life. Again, not a good time to say amen. But a bunch of you wives just found your life verse. Anyway, listen. There's there's a little group of you here at Grace who every time I highlight one of these funny verses, you threaten to make some merch with those verses on there. Well, you can add this one to your list. Notice he says because of the present crisis. Well, what is he talking about there? There's a couple of possibilities. It may be that the church is facing spiritual persecution. We know that there were hardships in the church in Corinth. And so maybe Paul was saying like the, the equivalent of, you know, if, if you were a Jewish person in Nazi Germany would say, you know, it's, it's better to not have a spouse and kids you know, because of the intensity and the pain of watching them be ripped away from you or killed in front of your eyes but but i think what he's talking about this present crisis has more to do with a spiritual urgency and i think it because he seems to give some explanation for his statement starting in verse 29 verse 29 he says what i mean brothers and sisters is that the time is short For this world in its present form is passing away. Paul seems to be motivated by the return of Christ. Life is short, he's saying. Time is short. Jesus could be coming back any day now. And if that was true then, think about how much truer it is now. And he says, in light of that, In light of the urgency, we need to focus all of our energy in making sure that the people that God has put in our sphere of influence have heard about Jesus. And so Paul says, being single like he was enables you to respond to that urgency, to focus all of your energy and all of your attention on Christ without the obligation of family. So that's the first benefit. The second spiritual benefit of singleness is related, but slightly different. It's the freedom to serve God with undivided devotion. Again, look at verses 32 to 35. He said, "...I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided." Then he goes to the the wives. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. There's that key phrase right there at the end. Undivided devotion. We And we come full circle all the way back to where we started, that singleness can be a gift, a gift of undivided devotion to Christ. Now, undivided devotion in singles doesn't happen automatically. It takes amazing dedication and sacrifice and grit and courage to live that kind of life, whether you're single or married. But Andrew Farmer says in his book, The Rich Single Life, he says it this way, undivided devotion to the Lord is the essence of biblical identity for the single adult. It is rooted in the sovereignty of a God who places people in appropriate stations, situations for the best possible reasons. It is steeped in the love of a God who uses even the most difficult of situations for the greatest possible benefit. It is sustained by the wisdom of a God whose timing is perfect and whose guidance is sure. If you are a Christian, don't despise the state to which you have been called. Live in the gift of your singleness for as long as you have the gift. And whether or not God ever ordains the prospect of marriage for your life, bring faith for the present and hope for the future because there is much to be done. Who better to set a hand to the task than you? And singles who are living with this kind of devotion are a great gift to the, to the church. Yes, our church. It's a beautiful thing to behold to see singles sold out in devotion to Christ at grace. And so when you show up and say, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna put others above myself, and I'm gonna make all my gifts available, and I'm gonna be committed. It's an amazing thing to watch, and it pushes back against that secular view of singleness. Think about Carrie and her incredible love and devotion for Grace Harbor Creek, and the mission of Servieri, and Andrew, who runs his own manufacturing company but he pours himself out to the community through Servieri, and Jenny, a single mom but still serving Grace sites any way she can, and Frank who lost his wife but and has shared his love and skills with the commons congregation and by helping widows over the years who also lost a spouse. And Sally, who's passionate about welcoming guests at Grace. And Tim, who serves on our tech team. And Sean, who uses his brilliant mind to help with all of our systems at Grace. And Zach, who leads so faithfully in our worship ministry. And Katie, who's a scheduler and a life group leader. These singles and many more are leveraging their time and their talents with undivided devotion to Christ. You know, the, the church should exist as a space where married people and single people belong together, and serve together. Why? Because we're better together. A healthy diversity of married and single people serving alongside each other creates this kind of mutual flourishing in the church. And it provides a beautiful foretaste, by the way, of what's to come. As Sam Alberry observes, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. We understand God's purpose in marriage because we say that a man and a wife is a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. And so we understand why marriage exists because it is a walking portrait of the gospel. But what we often forget to realize is that there are some positive things that, that cease when the final marriage happens, one of which is marriage itself. We, 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 we now, what we now know as marriage doesn't exist in heaven. This is taught very clearly in Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three 23 to 30 because a greater marriage replaces the shadows of that earthly marriage. And so a godly single person is also an earthly picture of our heavenly state. Godly singles are a walking picture of the fact that in heaven, there is a greater marriage coming And when godly singles are walking in godly singleness and showing that they are satisfied in their union with Christ, they're reminding the rest of the church that we have a greater marriage coming, and it's coming soon. And so for you single people listening to this message, will you lean in to the benefits and advantages of singleness? And will you sell out for God? Will you see the church as your spiritual brothers and sisters and develop deep and life-giving relationships? And please, Please, please don't feel any shame about being single in the church, even if people say dumb things unintentionally sometimes. You are where God has you for a reason. And if getting married is one of your desires, make it a matter of prayer. Ask others to pray with you, but don't get paralyzed. Don't be in a holding pattern. Don't consider marriage as when your life will begin. Live fully devoted to God right now. Remember our big idea. Your season of singleness is a gift from God. Use it well. And if you have that gift now, live with excellence now. Put your heart into high-quality, single-minded living for Christ now. You have time and energy that you wouldn't have otherwise. Invest it now. I believe someday God will ask you, what did you do with that time I gave you? Now, here's a quick word to the church as I close. I want to challenge us in, in two things, the rest of us. The first is to beware of idolatry. That is the idolatry of family. Jesus was consistent when he talked about family, even offensively sometimes. Let's put it this way. He always puts it in a secondary position to serving Christ. When we talk about idolatry, many parents have a tendency to worship their children, to make their needs ultimate. And in the church, I think, we sometimes make being married ultimate and raising a family ultimate to the point that it can alienate our single brothers and sisters. I hear people say all the time, family is everything and I don't wanna be the word police here because I know what they mean, but that's not true. Jesus is everything, and and we all can share that single focused priority in our life that Jesus is everything, and so let's do better at encouraging singles in their singleness. Let's not continue the misconception that they're in some kind of holding pattern. Encourage them, remind them of why God has given us this blessing. Learn from them any chance you get about what life and faith is like from their perspective. We have a lot to learn. The second word to the church is this, let's receive singles into our families. I I, I so desire for our church family to act as an extended family for our singles, especially those who are away from their families of origin. We have so many great stories around here of this happening, of families opening their homes and, and, and bringing in kind of adoptive aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. We have families who include singles in weekly meals. They celebrate holidays together. They take vacations around the world together. I'd love to see more and more of that around Grace. Make them part of our dynastic familial clan. We need more multi-generational teams on mission. If you're part of a family, would you expand your definition to include some folks in our church family? What we need to be able to do as a church is provide meaningful and appropriate relationships for all people, married or single, with or without kids, relationships which help us to grow in our faith, widows and widowers, single parents, whatever the situation, the church family should be working to provide supportive and nurturing and life-giving relationships wherever and whenever possible. Singles at Grace, we love you guys so much. Keep being an example to the church.